Okay, great. So um, I have a couple of questions for you, but before I get to those, could you just do like a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Ed Gore. I'm currently the National Director of the Chinese American World War II Veterans Congressional Gold Medal Recognition Project. And this project was started by me um, back in 20, in 2016, when I was National President of Chinese American Citizens Alliance. So CACA, the acronym, uh, was formed in 1895 as a response to the mistreatment of the Chinese railroad workers. As you can recall, back then when the railroad workers were finished doing their work, uh, many people scapegoated them for all the ills of the country, the economic ills, uh, similar to what's happening today, I guess, in a sense. But Chinese American Citizens Alliance came to, um, I guess, their rescue is what I'd say, to advocate for them, to advocate for their civil rights, for their freedoms, for uh, just the mistreatment. And um, many, many don't know that over the period of years, you know, going into the, to, uh, the 1900s, many Chinese were, were actually killed or mistreated and beaten during the time that they were in California and the Western states is where most of them were. So um, as far as myself goes, I, I, I um, don't, I actually have a STEM background. So when you say, uh, why am I involved with this at all? And the answer to that question really is I'm not, I'm not a military person. I'm not a veteran. I'm not any of those things. You might say you would associate someone who's kind of interested in this project. I actually started uh, when I was national president of CACA because when I was touring the country, visiting our various uh, chapters, lodges um, in about the 20 cities we had, the one thing I noticed was that everyone who was a, uh, an older member, in other words, if you have an organization, people always pay dues, right? So I would say to myself, as, as a person who's paying dues, what am I getting for my dues when I'm a member of anything? It doesn't matter what you're a member. I don't care if it's, if it's, you know, if it's a Spanish club or the Chinese club or anything like that. If you're paying dues, you, you should expect some kind of uh, membership benefit, just like if you're a member of uh, AAA or ARP, you know, you give all kinds of discounts on insurance, et cetera. We didn't have anything after a while because when CSA first started, the other thing that we did, because of things like discrimination and many of the mainstream uh, life and health insurance companies would not insure Chinese. So CSA started its own insurance program to insure uh, Chinese and back then. Uh, and of course, we had those programs because nobody else would, would carry them. You know, it's like, I'm sure your parents have insurance where they work and you're insured under them. But back in those days, they could not get insurance. So CSA started that. Well, over time, of course, uh, they started uh, covering Chinese. And, and, and so what did that lead for CSA to do? Well, hardly anything. But the one thing I noticed was all these uh, men and women who served in CSA were veterans uh, of, of World War II. And I, and I think one of the things I wanted to highlight back then was, well, this is a good time for us to recognize them because uh, in, the, in the years prior to my starting this, I had friends who are Filipino as well as Japanese, Nisei, who actually got congressional gold medals for their World War II veterans. So uh, several of them encouraged me, says, you know, you guys are the last ones, the last group of in the minority group, if you will to get this uh, Congressional Gold Medal and you have to advocate in Congress. And of course, as we all kind of can look back through who has received the Congressional Gold Medal, not only Nisei and Filipino, but we had the Native American Code Talkers, you know, Indian uh, uh, groups who received theirs. We had the Tuskegee, the Tuskegee Airmen, African-Americans who received theirs. And of course, women air service pilots also received Congressional Gold Medal before the Chinese Americans did. So just getting back to what we had to do, um, 
And, you know, this is the thing that when you study government or, or political science, how do, how do you pass a bill in Congress, right? How, what's the mechanism for doing that? Well, first of all, you need you need people to help help you lobby, if you will. And so you need in, to, to get a bill uh, introduced into Congress. You need the support of House and Senate members. So you're looking to be co-sponsors of the bill in both houses. So we need a Senate and a, a House uh, representative to from both parties to sponsor the bill, which we did. And the hard part, I think, is trying to get everyone to agree on the language of a bill, right? So, so we finally introduced two bills, one in the House, H.R. 2358, and in the Senate bill, was, uh, Senate Bill 1050, and they both were advocating for Chinese-American World War II veterans to receive uh, the Congressional Gold Medal. And if you, if you go to the, to the public law, the public law is uh, uh, 115-337. So 115 means there's 115th. Uh, session of Congress. So it's, it's that session of Congress. I think today we're at the 117 or 18 uh, session of Congress. So every session of Congress is two years. And so if you don't get the bill passed in, in, in the one session of Congress, you, you know, it has to be reintroduced again. So we were very, very, very fortunate to have had the, the help of some really wonderful people who joined our team and helped us advocate. And the, the ones who did actually had the most impact were actually the retired Chinese American generals, army generals, and rear admirals who served. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen or been in the company, and I know you know Major General Ted Wong now. Mm -hmm. You interviewed him. So Ted actually came on the project very late in the game, so he didn't get the experience of walking the hill uh, yeah. of Congress like, like the rest of us did. But, but Ted's a wonderful person to, to work with as far as presenting the, the, uh, the medals to all the veterans. So we had to have those guys walked the hills with us. And, you know, they were just wonderful because they're able to open doors that most of us would not be able to, because the biggest challenge is you need two thirds of each house. So two thirds of the hundred senators is 67 and two thirds of the house is uh, 290. So the, the Senate was not that challenging. I mean, it was challenging, but we were able to get to that number pretty well in the first year. It's the second year when we knew we had to get the the, the uh, House of Representatives on. So here's the challenge. There's a lot of Chinese in Texas. I mean, there, there are a lot of Chinese constituents in Texas. There are a lot of Chinese constituents in California, as well as New York. So what are the states can you think of where you, where you get your, your listen to you? You can advocate. How many other states can you think of? Well, think about it. How many Chinese do you think live in uh, Montana? Or Idaho. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> yeah. So not that. Right. So you see that in, in some of those states, it's very difficult to get their member of Congress to sign on to these bills because they say, why should I support this bill? I don't even have any Chinese in my district or any Asians in my district. So it becomes a real challenge there. And as I said, I think with the help of uh, a lot of the, the, um, the, I call them general officers, these are the people who are retired generals and admirals and all that kind of thing. Uh, they were able to help us, you know, get the bill passed. So when the bill is finally passed within two years, it's, it's a miraculous event when you think about any bill that gets passed in one session of Congress. I mean, it's almost impossible to think about, but we were very fortunate to have had that happen. And so one of your questions was, well, how does that feel? Well, <laughs> relieved. <laughs> I, won't, I won't necessarily say I was happy. I was just relieved because um, the timing just worked out well enough for us because when you have to get these bills signed at the last minute, and it also has to be signed by the president 
which at the time was uh, President Trump, uh, they were getting ready to go on recess because uh, if you look back in, in the last few years, there was, there was the government partial shutdown that's coming around too. So as that happens, you know, the government runs out of money, everybody goes home, blah, 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 and all that. So we were very fortunate to have the bill passed. So that's, that's the good news. The, the challenge now for us was trying to locate all of these families who had a veteran who served in World War II. And so I think that's been the big challenge. And it, well, it was the big challenge when we were actively looking for uh, them because we know that about 20,000 served, 20,000 Chinese, Chinese Americans served in World War II out of a population back in the, back in 1940 census said there, there were about 100,000 uh, Chinese uh, in the U.S., including Hawaii, which at the time was not a state, but you, know, you counted that as well. So when you think of 20,000 out of 100,000, that's, that's 20%. That's a, that's a large percentage of your population to be serving. And on top of that, I think our history, if, you're, if you kind of recall that, the Chinese Exclusion Act was also in effect uh, because that started in 1882 and was still in effect during World War II. And it was finally repealed uh, in 43, I think it was. And it was a response to the fact that the Chinese government, uh, uh, the, the U.S. needed the, the, the Chinese government to help them you know, beat back or defeat the, China, the Japanese back then. So they said, well, you know, we'd be glad to help you out, except you have this exclusion law that prevents our people from coming to your country. So, so they finally repealed it. And uh, not to say that it was, it, it finally got repealed, but it wasn't exactly that there was an overwhelming number of Chinese who were allowed in the country anyway, because the following year after it was repealed, they let a grand total of 105 Chinese come, immigrate into the country. So it wasn't a whole lot of people, but I, I think the history just kind of lets us know that it's always been a challenge for Chinese to, uh, to, to be accepted and recognized for the things that we do. I mean, we're, we're great about recognizing ourselves for being STEM people, doctors, you know, engineers, inventors, that kind of thing. But as far as contributing to the national good and the defense of the country, most people don't even realize that we have had Chinese who have served since the Civil War. So, yeah. Um, and obviously, like hearing all of that, I can tell like how difficult it was. And also, like, we, since I actually took government class last year we also kind mm -hmm. of like learned about the whole passing bill and the process of doing that and we had like a project and I think some people we we could like either like email our representatives and like some people chose to like write bills but then um a lot of them like quickly found out how difficult that was um so yeah I can definitely imagine like how much work that would have been um, and then, so with that being said, like, why was that so important to you? Like, why was it so important to you to go through all of that to pass um, this bill so that they get recognized? You know, I think originally it was with the intent that I recognized the people who are members of uh, CACA, those, those individuals, because I knew that uh, through their example, of serving, uh, demonstrating patriotism, because that's what they really wanted to do. They came to the country, some of them, 40% were not even citizens who served in the, uh, in the military. And yet they wanted to demonstrate their patriotism and their loyalty to the country by coming over here. And that's one thing they did was they said, when the U.S. needed help, uh, many of these men enlisted, many were drafted as well. 
but I think they want to demonstrate that. So I think that's the one thing that I would say is that because we were pretty much an unknown entity of, of you know, service to the military uh, in our country back then, is that maybe by letting people know this through things like what you're doing and that, that this bill's been passed now, that we let people know that, um, you know, what, what, what does it deal with all the hatred, you know, to it, towards us, you know? I mean, we've been contributing to this country for many, many years. We don't, many people don't see us, actually, even in the big cities. I mean, we can all travel around without any issue, but even the smaller cities, you know, like I said, in, in Nebraska or Idaho or Montana, you don't see very many Asians. So there's not a tendency to understand who we are, that we are, you know, I, I hate to use the word perpetual foreigners, but that's only because of the way we look. It's not because of what we, how we talk or how we act or what we agree or disagree upon. So I thought it was important for us to uh, highlight the importance of, of the fact that these men and women served side by side with everyone else to defeat a common enemy who was, uh, you know, going to uh, infringe upon our democracy and freedom and our rights. I mean, who knows what would happen if we didn't, if, if they didn't win the war back then. And, you know, as you know, many, many, um, you know, many people have called uh, this that generation of which our Chinese Americans are part of, you know, America's greatest generation because they set not only an example because they also became the people who are the hardest working, who kind of set the stage for the much of the society uh, that we have today. And so I think it's important for us to, to you know, it's important for me to, you know, said, well, we need to do this for those those folks who set the example for us. They made it easier for us. And, you know, a lot of us who are here today owe it to to them for what they did. And if I can just inject one, one kind of story um, about why I kept this thing going for myself. And, you know, I, I think anytime you take on a tremendously challenging project like this or effort, you, you, you get a lot of people who say they want to help you, but they don't. Okay. That's just, that's just life. And when the hard work comes is when the real people have character who believe in what you're doing, step up and help. And I always thought that one of the things when I was, um, when I was, you know, younger than where you are today, back in middle school, um, probably back in elementary, I, I had, had a couple of friends that were good friends of mine. And, and I, I didn't have, I did the typical Asian thing. You know, I was very good in school, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things I thought was really interesting was I had two friends, uh, one Caucasian, one Hispanic guy. And we had talent shows back when we were in elementary school. You had talent shows, I think, didn't you? You know, back yeah. in those days, you, you know, what do you do? Oh, I can dance or I can sing or I can, you know, those kind of things. Well, my friends were actually, <laughs> they were comedians. <laughs> they, were, they, they, they were like comics. They're funny. I mean, but me, I'm not funny. So, but they, they decided to enlist me to help because I could deliver the straight lines. You know, in other words, I do the straight line. They do the funny lines, right? So yeah. one of the things I found out was the funniest guy I knew was a, a the Hispanic guy. His name was George Colunga. And, um, you know, for the many years that I knew him into high school, actually, uh, he was about the funniest person I knew. But after, after I went off to college, uh, I found out that he ended up joining the U.S. Marines. And that's during the Vietnam War period. And... Um, you know, to to the extent that I owe we owe people like George Colunga, who served in the military, our very existence is what kind of kept me going many, 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 many days and nights and months and years with keeping this project going. Because what he did 
he was eventually he was killed in Vietnam. Actually, I didn't find this out until a mutual friend of ours told me, and you know, it made me stop and think for a while about how I knew him, what he did for me. He he kind of brought me a little bit out of my shell. I mean, being a being an Asian kid, I mean, is there comedy in your family? I mean, you you may have a funny family, but but I mean, it, are jokes told around your dinner table very much? You know, I don't know. Maybe they maybe you guys have a funny family. Or maybe you guys have a little humor in your family. Most, most Asian families don't have much humor. They don't think of humor as being something that's that's a, that's a good quality. But anyway, so so I, I thought about this about him, and I said, you know, if it's not for him, people like him serving in the military, uh, defending our country, I would not be able to go to school. I would not finish my college. I could not, you know, start a career, uh, start a family you know, do the things I do, do this project. And so I pretty much dedicated my whole thing about this project to people like him who give me, who gave me an opportunity to do something worthwhile. I mean, this project, is, it's not an economic gain for me, for sure, but it's, it's something that I felt like important to do for us. And so I've, I've kind of dedicated this thing to him more than anything else because it's people like him who give us those kinds of opportunities that we take for granted for the most part. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm, you know, I'm 16, I'm 17 years old. I, you know, I, I can live forever. You know, I'll never get sick, that kind of stuff. And so I, I think it's important for us to all have something um, that kind of grounds us and keeps us like thinking about, you know, what, make, what makes it possible for me to do the things that I do um, and live the life that I live? Because I'm very fortunate. I mean, we're all very fortunate. I mean, you know, it's, it's a... Uh, it's one of those things. So th that was one of the really good things I, I thought about in working on this project is that, like I said, I'm, I'm not in the military, but I felt like this was, was a way to support someone who was in the military as mm -hmm. uh, my friend. And of course, all the, all the veterans in our, in our, in our database. And um, just to let you know, and I'm sure my, my, my dad, and my father, wouldn't, wouldn't care one way or the other, but, they are both they're both World War II veterans. They're both no longer alive, but but they won't get mad at me if I say it this way. But you know, I didn't do this for them. <laughs> Actually, I, I didn't do this for them necessarily. They, they would not want me to do it for them. And really, I would have failed probably if, if my only focus was on them. I got to get my dad, and my father, all of them, you know, congressional medal. No, it doesn't work that way. It's more because uh, I think of the bigger. You have to think of the bigger picture of people who actually died. We have a lot of Chinese Americans who actually died in World War II. Mm -hmm. And if you don't mind me sharing this one story about one, there was a, uh, there's a story, um, uh, the Seventh Army, uh, they served in World War, uh, they served in, in France. And what happened was uh, this young man, uh, this Chinese uh, soldier, he actually jumped on a grenade to save his family. So, I mean, to save his uh, unit. And of course, when they all came back, they recognized him and they, they decided this was a good, this was something they needed to tell everyone else about, that there was a Chinese American who, who died by saving the rest of his unit by jumping on a grenade. The sad part about it was that he, he was buried there in France, but they finally were able to, to bring him back to the Chicago area, but they never found his parents. That's the sad part about it. They never found his parents. They don't know what happened to them. So, yeah, he's one of those, he's one of the many stories that we kind of talk about a little bit you know, amongst ourselves. 
uh, of Chinese Americans who actually served and sacrificed uh, for everyone else. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I just um, think like these stories really, um, like sometimes you just hear about like a lot of people participated, but you don't really hear the actual things that they did. And I think those are the things that are like yeah. really impactful. And yeah, so that's why like I'm kind of doing this to like learn more about it because I feel like we definitely lack yeah. a lot of those stories. Um, and um, I want to talk more about something you kind of already mentioned, mm -hmm. but just like the discrimination against Asian Americans or mm -hmm. Chinese Americans, especially. Mm -hmm. So just beyond the military scope, have you or anyone you know been like discriminated against because you or they are a Chinese American? Um, well, let me preface what I'm going to say by what I know the experiences of those Chinese who did serve the military. Uh, mm -hmm. Some will obviously say they were discriminated against, mostly because they looked like the enemy. So for the most part, the, the military tried to keep most Asians out, uh, and when I say Asians, mostly Chinese who served, uh, Chinese and Filipinos, out of the uh, Pacific region. So most of them went to Europe, you know, served in the European theater. Um, but there are other, you know, Chinese Americans who served who did not experience any discrimination. So what's, what was the difference? I, I don't really know the answer to that question. I don't have a, anything to say, except I, I think it may be just, just doing your job sometimes is all you need to do do to be part of the team right you do your yours mm -hmm. you do what you're assigned to do and everybody does what they're assigned to do and everybody's happy but as far as other discrimination i think it, it didn't occur to me until actually i went to college didn't experience much of it in high school or you know in the public school or k-12 but once i got into college this was when i i really experienced it. and it wasn't anything overt either actually it's a matter of people when they walk when you walked into a restaurant or a place where there had probably not very many uh, Chinese were, they, they would stop and look. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, what's the deal? And and so it's just mostly that. You you don't really don't get a whole lot of the over it. Now, did did my parents have discrimination? I, probably so. I would wouldn't be, be surprised. But I don't know really know what the real answer is, except what I think we I think discrimination um it, it's it's uh I won't say never, but pretty Pretty much it's never going to go away because it's just what it is it's it's just how people are are built what is their, their framework what are they involved with what is their experience and around you know what is a person's experience around an asian person their only experience may be i'm just going to use a probably bad example but but if you take the example of a, a bad asian driver and that's all they know about they'll think all asians are bad drivers right so that's their only experience. And so what do you expect them? To, I'm not saying it's right to feel that way, but that's how people are. People are just people, you know, they can, they can change their mind as well if it was a good experience. So yeah, I, I, I don't have the answer. I'm just trying to live, you know, be, live in the space that you're given and try to get in the space of everybody else and try to help. So. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with the point that like discrimination will probably always exist, but also, in another point of view, even if it always exists, I guess we shouldn't just accept it as normal. Um, and we should still like do things to help alleviate that discrimination. Um, so 
I would love to know what are some ways you think that America or just like the general public could do to ensure better equality for Chinese or Asian Americans? People think that people think that uh, uh, passing laws against discrimination change people's minds. Okay, it it can in some situations, especially like maybe business or housing or uh, uh, employment, those kind of things. Can, and those are things that someone probably can, can control or the outcome of. At the same time, I don't believe just passing laws is going to be the answer to the long-term issue of you know, why or, or how you can help um, uh, alleviate the whole problem of, of eliminating discrimination. I, I still think that it has to be uh, a one-on-one, uh, you know, group in a group, trying to involve other people in your in your in your sphere of influence that helps people change their minds about certain things. Now, there are certain things you can you probably won't be able to change minds about people at all because their 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 experience with certain groups is just going to be in their minds. Um, I mean, look look at ourselves today. I mean, there are many. Uh, mostly the older generation of Chinese Americans to, to this day still hate Japanese because of the war. It's, it's been all because of the war. And, you know, if you read some of the books, you know, the things like Rape of Nanking, where all the Japanese soldiers raped people in China, et cetera, et cetera. All those things are just terrible images in people's minds, right? I mean, they, they're not, you can't blame them for getting rid of her, that they can't get rid of that image because it hurts them. And the same thing, um, it's going to be so. So, how do you help them overcome that? I, I don't know the answer to that question. It's just very difficult. But yeah. if, if you can come back to, to today and decide, you know, if there's a if there's a person in need, are you going to over? Are you going to bypass them if they're not Chinese? I mean, if they're if uh, you know, are you going to help them if they are Chinese or not Chinese? Sometimes you you don't mind helping them if they're Chinese necessarily because you don't, you don't fear too much. But I I, I think um, a lot of these things can be easily resolved through just more social interaction with other groups and that way they're not so fearful or they don't or they understand more about you i don't think it's fearful i think i think just a lack of understanding of people that you know i mean i mean there's a lot of chinese that don't like me and there's a lot of chinese i don't like <laughs> because it's not because i discriminate they're just not very nice people <laughs> yeah i mean right i mean and, and then there are many african-american you know individuals that I like and can can certainly work with and the whole thing and and I I empathize with their situation, but you know we we've all had some degree of discrimination. I'm just gonna say it this way: everyone has some amount of racism in their mind and heart. Something something puts that into themselves, and so yeah, everybody people say they're not racist. There, there's something there that says that they don't that that contributes to whether there's racism or whether it's just, I don't like certain people, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it should, it should not be about race. It's, more, it's mostly about individual things, but it's, it, yeah. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to kind of just talk about the project that I'm doing mm-hmm. and your opinions on it. Um, so I think you have a pretty good understanding of what I'm doing. I'm basically like doing different portraits of veterans Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. talking to 
their family members or just people involved yeah. with Chinese American World War II veterans. So do you have any suggestions on like how I can expand my network maybe or just better achieve my goal of cementing the place of Asian Americans in American society? I mean, you, I, I can help you take it lots of different ways. Um, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's several well, portraits you could do of people who are no longer alive, but I have their pictures, you know, and just like, like Elsie's picture you have right there that you did. Um, I mean, some of the ones that are, I would say, less known would be kind of interesting to do. The one, the, the, one of the, the, uh, the private in the army that I was talking about, I have his, uh, we have his picture. And then we, and then, and then that would be one way to help kind of get his story out. Um, uh, and then there's, you know, one guy, there's only one Chinese American who's a Medal of Honor uh, winner or awardee, uh, Francis Y, W-A-I. And so uh, you, can, you can do a little feature about him. And you can also concentrate on um, other women as well in that uh i mean another another interesting story and i've learned and i've learned a lot like i said I've, i was a stem person i mean learning about world war ii you know it was nothing in our history books about especially about chinese americans right especially mm -hmm. even transcontinental railroad you don't even hear in your history books that chinese were involved with except a little bitty part maybe they talked about chinese but there was a picture of well, let me tell you about two stories so one is that a grandson um sent me that his grandmother had of a flag so it's just a simple little handkerchief and and the handkerchief had like five stars on it and i said what's that what does that mean what does those five stars on that little handkerchief mean she said he says that um that flag or that handkerchief was given to her because each star represents a son or daughter that was in world war ii so she oh. basically had four sons and one daughter that served in world war ii and what she did with that that handkerchief was uh she hung it outside her window so people walked by her house knew that here was a family who had five children serving in world war ii all at the same time i mean can you imagine if you're a mother you've got five kids that are out somewhere in harm's way for all the period of time so you know that brings a whole lot of things home and and i, I don't know if you're familiar with that that movie called band of brothers you know they're looking for these these two brothers that served in the war so that one got killed. They didn't want to make sure, they, want to make sure they saved the other one, out, got him out of harm's way by rescuing him. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have so many stories actually of multiple uh, brothers and sisters serving in World War II from the same family. So there's, there's at least one family that has four brothers that served. And actually there's multiple families that have at least two, uh, either a brother, sister, or two brothers or something like that. And then we have a couple of stories of people who uh, actually got married in the service. And so they're both, they're both World War II veterans that got married. So mm -hmm. uh, I think the neat thing about some of these photographs, Melody, is that these were all really, really uh, nice looking people. I mean, when they're younger, I mean, they look great. I mean, I said, wow, these are, <laughs> these are, like, these are almost like uh, Hong Kong movie star quality looking people, you know? So, so these are all in their uniforms and all that. So that's, that's, that was one good uh, story there. Then another project is we've actually been able to reunite some families who hadn't seen each other in a long time, but they did not know each other had a had a veteran in their family. I mean, who talks about that when you're growing up? You know, you said, "Oh, my dad." <laughs> no, nobody says that. After a while, you, know, you 
come back from the war, you get married, you have kids, and the kids don't really even know that the dad or, or mom served. And so we had in our book, and um, one of these days I may be able to find a way to show you a copy of this book. So, so we had this kind of book that we put together, and each one of them has stories. There's, there's 500 stories. Like each page is written by the family. They submit a tribute to their dad. So, he, so I mean, here's 500 stories right here. You, you could almost pull out of our book and find these folks. But one of the pictures has um, three veterans, two in the Army. One. Mm -hmm. It turns out that each one of those men whose picture is in that. Uh, so the first one sends it in and it's in the book. And the person sees another person across the country sees that picture. And they said to me, hey, can you put me in touch with that family who put that picture in there? I said, why? She said, because my family has the same photograph in their album. So it turns out there's another guy that's in that picture that actually was related to them. They were like second cousins, I think, Whoa. something like that. Yeah. And so two, so two days before the deadline for, for registering and, and approving veterans, a third lady contacts me. She says, I, I, have, I have a photograph. All I have is a photograph of my dad. I said, really? I said, um, why don't you send it to me and let me take a look. Well, you know, the funny thing is that third person has the same photograph. <laughs> so we eventually put them all together and I think they saw each other in Washington DC last year. Uh, wow. So, so, you know, just, just some really, really nice uh, feel good stories about how we kind of pulled some families back together and none of them knew each other's father was a world war II veteran because it's just something they don't talk about. Matter of fact, that's, that's a common theme throughout our entire work is that many, many of the children did not even know their dad or did not know much about their dad's service. Because most of, you know, I mean, honestly, nobody wants to talk about war. It, it's really mm -hmm. not a very pleasant subject. And so well, I think that's probably why they didn't talk about it. But as they come to find out, they're very proud of their dads and uncles and aunts and all that who served uh, during the war. So you, you have a real treasure trove of information that you could, uh, you know, dig into, Melody. And, uh, you know, let me know how you want to take it. You know, I, you, you, you want to pick a certain group, you want to pick a Navy or maybe pick somebody. We, we don't have very many Marines. We had a few Marines. We had some merchant mariners. Um, as a matter of fact, there's uh, the, the merchant mariners of World War II also received a congressional gold medal. So we actually, we have some Chinese who actually have two congressional gold medals in their house, one from ours and one from Marines. And we have one guy that has three because he was also an army ranger. So you don't you don't hear very many Chinese who are army rangers. I mean these are these are really, I, I guess they call themselves tougher than Marines. So, so you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So just let me know how you want to do this. Uh, I'd be glad to help out in any way. I'll just have to clear it with the people who, who if they're available and all that kind of thing. Yeah, but I'm sure they'd be glad to help. Yeah, I'll definitely keep in touch with you after this. And sure. Yeah, hopefully, like, I know, like, I'm pretty busy during the school year, but, yeah. um, like, just in my free time, I would love to, like, dive even deeper into this and know more about these stories. Um, and then... Oh, yeah. This is part of it. Yeah. yeah. This is part of the whole reason why we're doing the project is to get the education component out about this, uh, these, these, these individual stories. Yeah. And finally, um, 
I just wanted to ask if you had anything to say to the younger generation of America. Um, I mean, there, there are so many things you can do that it's, it's almost uh, unlimited. I, you know, the options today, Melody, people, you know, kids in your generation, young people who are trying to find out what they want to do. Um, sometimes I think too many choices is too many. And yeah. so you, you narrow yourself down. I think you find something that you really love doing. And, you know, I also understand the age, the, the, uh, the Chinese narrative that says, uh, oh, you become an artist, you'll be poor all your life, or you become a some, some in music, you'll be, you know, all that kind of thing. I, I think it has to go hand in hand. You have to be happy doing, you have, you should be productive in society. That's number one. You should be productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these projects like this I'm doing are, are fine. And I think they can expand, you know, your scope of, of, of learning and you should never stop learning. But at the same time, I think you should always find a way to contribute to the betterment of, of the people around you. And then as, as the circle gets a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, that anything you do has an impact. And I'd say that find something that has impact upon people. I mean, you know, nothing like, you know, dramatically like, you know, but something that affects somebody that's going to make them better or make it what you do better for them as well. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Yeah, good talking to you. Okay, bye-bye.